presence. If you are visiting, we are very grateful that you've chosen to come our way. We want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for such a beautiful day, for a large number of people here. And we pray that if you are looking for a church home, that you would consider the work here. I know that the elders are more than happy to meet, to answer any questions that you have, and to talk to you about how you might become involved in the work here. And we want to do everything within our power to make people know about the way of the cross, to let people know about the way of the cross, and to encourage people to become New Testament Christians. We're going to be looking today at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be focusing on verses 32 through 34. As we look at Mark 10, 32 through 34, the theme of our study today, the way of the cross. Ultimately, you and I, we know that the way of the cross leads home. And by that I mean it is through Jesus and what he did on our behalf on Calvary that will make it possible for us to one day spend eternity with God and Christ in heaven. We want to go to heaven and we want to take as many people with us as humanly possible. I want you to look with me and think for a moment or two about the way of the cross. There are a lot of things that could be said about the cross and about what Jesus experienced on our behalf. And Jesus really came into this world with a heaven-sent mission. That mission was identified by an angel of God. When he said to Joseph in a dream that Mary would bring forth a son and that he would call his name Jesus. And the angel said, he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus himself captured the essence of his ministry in Luke 19.10. When he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to die for the lost. That is, he came to die for us. As the Bible says, Christ died for our sins. And so with that in mind, we look at verses 32 through 34. As you look at these verses contextually, first of all, I want to call your attention to the people who were with Jesus. And I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the feelings of the saints because Jesus is going to be talking about his impending death. And he makes an interesting statement or two that lead them to, to question maybe what he's thinking in his own mind. So look at verse 32. In verse 32, the Bible says, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And the Bible says, As they followed, they were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Two things here. We talk about the twelve, the disciples of Christ, the apostles, those men that had been selected by Jesus. Luke tells us in chapter 6 that the Lord literally spent the night in prayer prior to selecting these men to, to serve in this capacity. 
And so Jesus here, he tells them that he's going to Jerusalem. And the Bible says, first of all, they were amazed. Why do you think they were amazed? I think that there are probably any number of, of reasons why they were amazed. But the thing that comes to my mind is the fact that Jerusalem was, was really like an epicenter for his bitterest foes. In other words, here Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the place where he faced severe persecution. And so in their minds, it's like, what did you just say? You mean to tell me we're going to Jerusalem? In John chapter 11, we read about the friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha. And they sent word to him that Lazarus was sick, and we know that Lazarus died. And in that, in that chapter, Jesus tells the disciples, let us go to Judea again. They couldn't believe that Jesus wanted to go to Judea. And why was that? Because, he said, because they said, the Jews sought to stone you. And you want to go there again? And so here were, here were some men that had spent time with Jesus. They knew what people thought about him. They knew what the religious leaders were thinking about Jesus, the Messiah. And so they were amazed that he would even remotely want to go to Jerusalem. But then not only were they amazed, but the Bible says they were afraid. Listen again, as they followed, they were afraid. Now I think there were two reasons why they were afraid. First of all, they were afraid for themselves. I mean, you just think about it. You're running with a person who is the object of ridicule, scorn, and persecution. And so potentially what happens to him is going to happen to you. And so I think they were afraid for themselves. And typically we are concerned about our own physical welfare. That's not uncommon. But then secondly, not only were they fearful for themselves, but I believe they were fearful for him, for his own safety. And again, you look at John chapter 11, and the disciples, they said to Jesus, you mean to tell me you're going back to Judea when the Jews who were in that, in that region, they wanted to stone you? So they, they feared his own well-being. But now I want you to think with me in the second place as we continue looking at verses 32 through 34. We think about the people who were with Jesus. But then I want you to consider with me the prophecy that was made by Jesus. And really, we're going to see here the fate of the Savior. We've looked at the feelings of the saints. They were amazed and they were afraid. But now we think about the fate of the Savior. What's going to happen to Jesus? Jesus is going to tell them the events that are going to take place when they get to Jerusalem. And so as we think about that, first of all, let's consider the prophecy of his death. Look again at the latter part of verse 32. Mark tells us he took the 12 aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, 
we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and to deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. First of all, the prophecy about his death. Jesus came for what purpose? To die. And when you read the gospel narratives, you see Jesus wrestling with his impending death. I think about when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed to God the Father. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus came to literally give himself as a ransom for our sins. He came to die for us. And so Jesus here is prophetically speaking about his death. In John chapter 2, we read about Jesus performing a miracle in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. A little, bit, a little bit later in that same chapter, Jesus would say, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What was he talking? He was talking about his death, wasn't he? There are some three instances in the book of Matthew that Jesus explicitly talks about his death. We have a record of Jesus telling his disciples, the apostles, that he was going to die. In Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus had asked the disciples what people were saying about him, who he was. And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up and, say, you are, and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then responded by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So here was an acknowledgement that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Well, just a little bit later, Jesus told them that he had to go to Jerusalem. And again, he points out he's going to suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be put to death. And how did Peter respond? He said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. They had difficulty understanding that Jesus was going to, was going to die. Now, over in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus again talked about his impending death, in verse 23, the Bible says, and they became exceedingly sorrowful. I'm not sure they understood the full implications of what Jesus was talking about. But at least as he was talking about his death, they were sorrowful. And no doubt they were disturbed by what they heard. Now if you go back to the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament prophets pointed to the coming of Christ, the Messiah, and his ultimate death. Isaiah chapter 53, a very graphic picture of the suffering servant, of where Jesus would suffer and die for our sins. 
Now there's a second thing that Jesus talks about. We talk about the prophecy of his death, but then he specifies the place of his death. Listen, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now it was just outside the walls of Jerusalem that Jesus would be crucified for the sins of the human family. The Bible tells us in Luke 23, verse 33, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Jesus went to Golgotha. Peter tells us that the just suffered for the unjust in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Why was that? That he might bring us to God. So Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. He knew that. He understood that. But then also, consider with me if you would, the people who took part in his death. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered. And then he begins to talk about those who would deliver him up. Now, there are several there were several parties involved in condemning him to death. We think about Judas Iscariot. Can you imagine spending some three and a half years with Jesus? I think about all of the things that the apostles heard Jesus talk about. On one occasion, Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of life eternal. They heard Jesus talk about so many things and they they had the opportunity to see Jesus for who he really was. And then think about all of the great miracles that the Lord performed in their presence. And then you, you step back and you think about the actions of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot literally sold Jesus out. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. So Judas is going to take part in having Jesus condemned to death. But he said he's going to be delivered to the chief priest. Now, the priest were involved in temple worship. And we think about the classes of those who functioned in this capacity. But he said the chief priest and the scribes here were individuals that were to have been teachers of the law. Here were individuals that knew what the Old Testament scripture said and yet they were going to do what? They were going to take part in condemning Jesus to death. And then, not just the chief priest and the scribes, but the Bible says he will be delivered to the Gentiles. Well, Jesus was going to die on a Roman cross. The Jews would see to it that the Lord would be put to death. And they needed the Romans to execute that. Pontius Pilate had the opportunity to see Jesus firsthand, to, to listen to the accusations that were being hurled his way. I believe that Pontius Pilate recognized Jesus to be an innocent man. And maybe because of 
Maybe because he was a coward, I don't know. He tried to wash his hands from the whole episode. Whatever the case may have been, he had a part in all of this. So, here were some of the people involved in his death. But then, the pain involved in his death. Listen to verse 34. In verse 34, Jesus talks about the things that are going to happen to him. He said, first of all, they will mock him. If you go back and look at Matthew chapter 27, the Bible gives a narration of the events that take place during the trial of Jesus. Now, Matthew tells us that they platted a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. Did they really envision Jesus as a king? Did they really see him as a king? Because crowns are for whom? For kings. Well, they platted a crown of thorns, they placed it on his head. They put on him a scarlet robe. And the Bible says they bowed the knee before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. This was done in a mocking way. They were taunting or ridiculing him. They didn't really believe him to be the king of the Jews. When you look at Jesus on the cross, do you remember how those who stood at the foot of the cross said, if you are the king of Israel, come down from the cross and we will believe you? They didn't think they were in the presence of the Son of God. They didn't believe that this was indeed the Messiah. They were mocking, taunting, and ridiculing him. The Bible tells us that they would slap him in the face and say, tell us, who is it that hit you? Jesus said not only would he be mocked, but he would be scourged. I would encourage you sometime in the next few days to go back and, and read about the Roman scourge. They would strip a man and literally beat him to death. I suspect had we been present when Jesus was scourged, had we known him prior to the scourging, we might, we might not have recognized him. His body would have been a bloody mess. The scourge literally ripped the skin right off of an individual's back and chest. The scourge, and then the Bible says, they spit on him. Can you, can you think of anything more humiliating than for one person to spit in the face of another? I remember an individual telling me many years ago, and this man is now deceased, he was a good man. And I think, if I remember correctly, he was in the city of Nashville handing out tracts on one occasion. And I believe he said somebody tried to spit on him. Now that's humiliating. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God the one who made the world and all things therein. This is the one who made mankind. 
the creator suffering at the hands of his own creation. Jesus said, they're going to mock me, they're going to scourge me, they're going to spit on me. And then he said, they'll kill me. Death. How will you die? You ever wondered that? I have often prayed that people will die peacefully. It is my prayer for people who are in terminal situations that they have a peaceful hour to pass into eternity. I understand that there are some, there are some deaths that are not peaceful. It would, be, it would be great to go to bed one night and die in, die in, in, in our sleep. But not everybody has that opportunity or luxury. Some people die in very gruesome circumstances. Jesus was not just going to die. He was going to be killed. They, they were going to kill him. Now, you go back and you think about the events leading up to his crucifixion, the scourging. Matthew tells us as they made their way to Golgotha that they compelled a man by the name of Simon of Serene to bear his cross. I believe that Jesus had probably lost a great amount of blood. He was physically exhausted and he fell beneath the weight of that cross. And so they got Simon to bear that cross to Golgotha. What Jesus experienced before the cross was enough to kill a man. But then they get to Golgotha and they drive those stakes, nails, through his hands and feet. Crucifixion would have been an awful way to die. It was a very inhumane way to kill a man. And if you go back and you read history, you'll find that the Romans, they perfected it. They wanted somebody to writhe in agony until death. How'd you like to think that when you come to the end of the road here on planet Earth, you are going to die a horribly agonizing death? I hope that's not the case, but it might be. That's what was before Jesus. But then I want you to note the promise that he makes as it relates to his death. Go back and read again with me. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests, to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day, he will what? He will rise again. Jesus here is saying, look, they are going to kill me, but I will rise again. What is the significance of the resurrection? I really believe that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ were not true, Christianity would not have a leg to stand on. 
Christianity stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus. Without it, Christianity is nothing. Now, we go back to John chapter 2. Jesus had said, destroy this temple. They thought he was talking about the physical temple. But Jesus said, you destroy this temple, that is the temple of my body, and I will raise it again the third day. The psalmist of old foretold of the resurrection of Jesus. God was not going to allow his Holy One to suffer corruption. God in heaven foretold of the resurrection of Jesus. And when you read the book of Acts, one of the things that stands out to me is the apostles, when they began preaching and teaching, one of the things that they preached was the resurrection of Jesus. Why do you think the apostles literally were willing to die for what they preached? I believe because they understood that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul makes an argument for the resurrection. His argument is simply this, and he talks about those eyewitnesses of Christ, those who had visibly seen the Son of God. And what Paul said was, look, if the resurrection of Christ is not true, he said, our preaching, it's vain. He said, our faith, it's vain. And he said, we are still in sin. When Jesus rose from the dead, that ultimately completed the redemptive plan of Almighty God in the sense that Jesus died and rose again. Paul tells us he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification in Romans chapter 4 at verse 25. In Romans chapter 1 verse 4, the Bible says he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of the dead validates the claims that Jesus is who he claims to be. He's the Son of God. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're debating about Jesus. They want to know, was he a man? Was he a great teacher? Was he a great, was he a great philosopher? Whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is, he is the Son of God. And the way of the cross leads home. Why do we preach and, treat, why do we preach and teach the cross? Because it is through Jesus. It is through the redemptive plan of God that we have any hope. Jesus here is simply saying, look, the cross is before me. The Lord Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross for each of us. I think sometimes we think about the redemptive plan of God in a generic way. It might be that we think about what God did in, in the scheme of redemption in, in terms of how that affects the world, and it does affect the world at large. But listen, please, very carefully. What the Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross, it is an individual thing. The Bible says Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus Christ died for you. 
And so my hope today is that if you are outside of Christ, that you would understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want fellowship with God the Father, it's through Christ. Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're here today, I am convinced that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. You don't have any doubt about that. The question is, would you act on that faith? Would you be willing to repent of sin? That is to give up a life of sin, to confess his name before others, just like the eunuch did. Jesus is the Son of God. And then to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2, verse 38. The promise is when you do that, God will add you to the body of Christ, Acts 2, 47. You'll enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. And if you are faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, maybe you're not living as you should. Maybe you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ. Could we pray with you and for you? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.